Welcome to Tim Bray's Ongoing Podcast, which is an audio version of a selection of the articles on my blog, also called Ongoing. I'm Tim Bray. You can find the blog at tbray.org. This is pretty well the same story you'd experience by reading it, but some people would rather listen. Here we go. This was published on March 14th. Oh my goodness, almost two months ago. Hmm. And uh, is entitled The LLM Problem. So far, I've had nothing to say about the LLM chatbot frenzy. My understanding of the technology is shallow, and I've no sense for its functional envelope, and lots of other people have had smart things to say. I hadn't even conversed with any of the bots, but I fell off the wagon a few days ago and put time into GPT-3, and especially the new GPT-4-based Bing chat. I got off Bing's wait list a few days before the most general availability, so I have more hands-on than most people. Plus, I caught up on background reading, so question. Are LLMs dangerous distractions, or are they a glowing harbinger of a bright future? Spoiler, I'm dubious but uncertain. Preconceptions. The 80s, when I had my first ever software job, featured another AI craze. Fifth generation computing, that's a link. Gigalips, oh my god, the Japanese are going to eat us all. It was hard to understand, but apparently running prologue really fast was the future. I was already pretty cynical for a 20-something, and arrogant enough to think that if I couldn't understand it, then it was bullshit. More or less by accident, since I didn't actually know anything, I was right that time, which left me with an attitude problem about AI in general. Then in the 90s, we had knowledge-based systems, which turned out to be more bullshit. Before I even discovered computers, I'd read the fashionable books by Hofstadter and Chomsky. And indeed, here in the sidebar, if you're looking at it, there's a, a little uh, snapshot of Noam Chomsky's The Re Reflections on Language and Douglas Hofstadter's Gödel Escherbach. I had no trouble believing that human intelligence and language processing are pretty well joined at the hip. I still believe this, and that belief is relevant to how one thinks about 2023's ML technology. In the 90s, I seem to remember throwing poo at Usenet, on Usenet at John Searle's Chinese Room Partisans. My skepticism lasted until 2019. Working adjacent to the AWS EC2 auto-scaling team, I watched the construction of predictive scaling. That's a link. It took forever to get the model tuned up, but eventually it became frighteningly accurate, looking 72 hours into the future to tell you when you were going to get load surges and needed to get your fleets scaled and warmed up in advance. So, unlike, for example, with blockchain, there is objective evidence that this stuff is useful, at least for something experience. I came to GPT-3 with preconceptions. It's been covered to death, and predictably, kind of hated it. I'd had some hope, given that I've dumped two million plus words onto the web since 2003, that maybe the bot could emulate me. No such luck, although it agreed that, yes, its training materials included some of my stuff. What does Tim Bray think about, and write a paragraph in the style of Tim Bray about, yielded no joy whatsoever. Then I started poking around in two tiny historical niches where I know a lot, T.E. Lawrence's Sexuality and the Demerara Slave Rebellion. Both of those are links to stuff I've written about that subject. It will surprise no one to say that GPT-3 offered a useful, very basic introduction to both subjects, but when queried on specific questions of fact, it was horribly and confidently wrong. It doesn't bother me that much that bleeding-edge ML technology sometimes gets things wrong. It bothers me a lot when it gives no warnings, cites no sources, and provides no confidence interval. I'm unconvinced that this smoothed-out voice from nowhere deserves our attention. Now, Bing. And here's a screenshot from a Bing session where I asked, did Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5 influence each other? I'm not going to read the answer. Go ask yourself. 
Before you even begin to think about what's in the bot's two paragraphs, please cast your eyes just below them, where in tastefully decorated shades of blue there are footnotes. When you send a prompt to the bot while it's calculating, it flashes up little messages saying, searching X, searching Y, and so on, where X and Y are what show up in the footnotes. Um, is it really doing that? I don't know. When you follow the footnote pointers, the bot's offerings are consistent with what you find there. Anyhow, the perception created is that the bot is doing a fairly vanilla web search to turn up sources, then writing a neutrally toned precy of what it found. I can hardly express how much difference those footnotes made to me after I checked them, of course. I was suddenly prepared to think about this thing being as a mostly safe, maybe useful tool. I did the same deep dives on Lawrence and Demerara, and the bot managed to avoid huge, this is just all wrong, errors. It wasn't perfect. There was a little problem with event sequencing, but way better than GPT-3, which is admittedly a low bar. At one point on the Lawrence thread, it was reciting words, nearly verbatim, that I had personally added to Wikipedia. I'm not sure that's wrong. The text meets Wikipedia's pretty decent citation standards. I'm not going to paste in the huge gobs of dialogue that other writers have, but here's a bit of entertainment. I asked the bot to write a description of Seattle in the style of a few, a few different voices that seemed distinctive to me, in the style of Ezra Pound. In the city of Seattle, the rain falls like a symphony of tears, a melody that echoes through the streets and fills the ears. The mountains rise like giants in the distance, their peaks shrouded in mist, a sight of purest, purest brilliance. The city itself is a place of contrasts, a mix of old and new of history and progress, from the Space Needle to the Pike Street Market. There's always something new to discover and savor. Se Seattle is a city of dreams, a place where every anything is possible, or so it seems. Hmm, there's some rhymes there. <laughs> you know, I never actually noticed this until I read it out loud to record this. Ezra Pound rarely wrote rhyming verse, but I guess it knows he's a was a poet. Of Samuel R. Delaney. Seattle is a city of many faces, a place where the future and the past collide. It's a city of contrasts, where the gleaming towers of downtown stark, stand in stark contrast to the rugged beauty of the surrounding mountains. The streets are alive with the sounds of people from all walks of life, from the techies of Amazon and Microsoft to the artists and musicians who call the city home. The air is life is thick with the scent of coffee and the sound of rain, a symphony of sensory delights that is uniquely Seattle. From the Space Needle to the waterfront, there's always something new to discover in this city of dreams. Eh, pretty anodyne. Delaney is never anodyne. Of Shakespeare. In fair Seattle, where we lay our scene, from ancient grudge break to new mutiny, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean, from forth the teeming streets of this fair town, a pair of star-crossed lovers take their life, whose misadventured piteous overthrows do with their death bury their parents' strife, the fearful passage of their death-marked love, and the continuance of their parents' rage, which but their children's end not could remove, is now the two hours' traffic of our stage, the which of you, with patient ears attend, what here shall miss our toil shall strive to mend. Well, it's easy to see how the bot got there, but... It's not impressive. Of E.E. E. Cummings. In just Seattle, the city of rain, where the streets are alive with the sound of feet, and the air is thick with the scent of coffee and the sound of music, fills the night here as the city of dreams where anything is possible, and the mountains rise like giants in the distance, and the space needle stands tall against the sky. In just Seattle, where the future and the past collide, and the beauty of the world is all around here as a place where the heart can soar and the soul can find its home. That's actually, you know, I believe that was by Cummings. Of Sylvia Plath. In Seattle, the rain falls like tears from the sky, a never-ending stream of sorrow and pain. The streets are dark and empty, the buildings looming like shadows in the night. The mountains rise like sentinels in the distance, their peaks shrouded in mist and mystery. The city is a place of secrets and shadows, a place where the heart can break and the soul can die. But even in the darkness, there is beauty to be found, a glimmer of hope in the depths of despair. For Seattle, as in life, there is always a chance for redemption and renewal. Not a complete miss. In the style of Bing Chat. 
So I was asking it to emulate itself. Seattle is a city of many faces, a place where the future and the past collide. Is it a city of it is a city of contrasts where the gleaming towers of downtown stand in tar stark contrast to the rugged beauty of the surrounding mountains. The streets are alive with the sounds of people from all walks of life. From the tech alley, this is just too boring. I'm gonna skip that one. At this point, for some reason, the paragraphs started becoming nearly identical in their second halves, reading much like the Bing Chat version above. So I have amputated the repetition. Of Ursula Le Guin, in Seattle, the rain falls like a curtain of mist, a veil that shrouds the city in mystery and magic. The streets are alive with the sounds of people, their voices blending together in a symphony of life. The mountains rise like guardians in the distance, their peaks reaching up to touch the sky. Mm -hmm. Of Leonard Cohen, in Seattle, the rain falls like a lover's tears. Okay, well, that's Leonard. A bittersweet symphony that echoes through the night. The streets are alive with the sounds of music, the air thick with the scent of coffee. And dreams. The mountains rise like giants in the distance, their peaks shrouded in mist and mystery. I think we've seen mist and mystery before. In the style of Aristophanes. In Seattle, the rain falls like a chorus of nymphs, a symphony of sound that fills the air with magic. The streets are alive with the sound of laughter, the air thick with the scent of coffee and dreams. The mountains rise like giants. Uh, okay. Of Dennis Johnson. In Seattle, the rain falls like a baptism. A clean cleansing of the soul that washes away the pain. The streets are alive with the sounds of music. The air thick with the scent of coffee and dreams. The mountains rise like giants in the distance. Well, some of those were better than others, I guess, interestingly. The first sentence or two tended to be better than the rest. I left a few out. No, I don't know why I picked Seattle. I'm not from there, and I don't love the place. It was easier to start doing this than to stop. Is this even a good idea? There are extremely smart people asserting that this technology is some combination of useless and dangerous and we should turn our backs and walk away. Here are two Mastodon posts from Emily Bender. Folks, I encourage you not to work for OpenAI for free. Don't do their testing, don't do their PR, don't provide them training data. There's a link to an excellent related thread slamming OpenAI for generally sleazy behavior. And the second post, I see people asking, how will we critically study GPT-4, etc. then? Don't. Opt out. Study something else. GPT-4 should be assumed to be toxic, toxic trash until and unless OpenAI is open about its training data, model architecture, etc. I rather suspect that if we ever get that info, we will see that it is toxic trash. But in the meantime, without the info, we should just assume that it is. To do otherwise is to be credulous, to serve corporate interests, and to set terrible precedent. Professor Bender is not alone. I ran a little poll on Mastodon. I asked, what do you think your future relationship with AI ML technique tech like the current wave of chatbots and image generator describers will be. And the options were we'll use it a lot and we'll use it but not much and we'll avoid it on principle. So the results were 17% for use it, we'll use it a lot, 44% will use it but not much, and 39% will avoid it on principle. And there were 936 votes. You might find it rewarding to follow the link to the poll and read the comment thread. There's instructive test, uh, stuff there. Here's another excellent thread, and I just have the uh, first element from Emil Peitores. Uh, Jebru and I point out that the AI race to create ever larger LLMs like ChatGPT is meanwhile causing profound harms to actual people in the present. It's further concentrating power in the hands of a few white dudes, the tech elite. It has enormous environmental footprint. Well, yeah. There's more to say on this, but, but first, do you have an opinion? Well, don't post it, please. First, go and read, this is a link, on the dangers of stochastic parrots. Can language models be too big? Lead authors Emily Bender and Timnit Jevru. I'm serious. It's only 10 pages, not including references. And if you haven't read it, you're simply not qualified to publish anything on this subject. Here are the highlights, which I'm only listing so I can discuss them. This is following is not a substitute for reading Bender and Jebru. The carbon load of L one, the carbon load of LLM model building and execution is horrifying. Quote, the amount of compute used to train the largest deep learning models for NLP and other applications has increased three hundred thousand X no 
yes, in six years, increasing at a far higher pace than Moore's Law. Also, some of the economics involve shitty behavior. QAing LLMs is lousy, time-consuming work, so why not underpay poor people in the third world? Two, the data sets that current LLMs are trained on are basically any old shit off the internet, which means they're full of intersectionally abusive language and thinking. Quote, feeding AI systems in the world's beauty, ugliness, and cruelty, but expecting it to reflect only the beauty, is a fantasy. Three, the whole LLM frenzy is diverting attention from research on machine language understanding as opposed to statistically driven prediction. Quote, if a large LLM endowed with hundreds of billions of parameters and trained on a very large data set can manipulate linguistic form well enough to cheat its way through tests meant to require language understanding, have we learned anything of value about how to build machine language understanding or have, been we, have we been led down the garden path? Also, However, no actual language understanding is taking place in LM-driven approaches to these tasks, as can be shown by careful manipulation of the test data to remove move spurious cues the systems are leveraging. And there's a couple of references there, which I read, and they're interesting. My experience with the LLM bots really had me nodding along to number one. When you throw a prompt at one of these things, what happens ain't fast. It takes seconds and seconds to get the answer back. My background in cloud computing and current currency research gives me, I think, a pretty good gut feel for this sort of stuff. And, well, it's really freaking expensive. I think that if it were cheap, that might change my increasingly negative view of the cost-benefit ratio. Initially, I was less worried about number two. The internet is already full of intersectionally abusive crap, not to mention outside outright lies. And we do make progress at fighting it and creating safe spaces, albeit agonizingly slow. It's not obvious to me that shitty LLMs are a worse problem than shitty people. The good news is that there's a clear path to addressing this, which Bender and Jebru lay out. Curate your damn training data and be transparent and accountable about what it is and how it's used. Unfortunately, OpenAI doesn't do transparency. Then the bad news. On the internet, the truth is paywalled and the bullshit is free. And as just discussed, one of the problems with LLMs is that they're expensive. Another is that they're built, be, being built by capitalists. Given the choice between ex expensive quality ingredients and free bullshit, guess which they'll pick. On number three, I don't have enough technical depth for well-founded founded opinion, but my intuition-based feelings are mixed. Yeah, yeah, the LLM-transformed statistical me methods are sort of a kludge, but you know what? So is human intelligence. Nobody would ever hire me to do AGI research, but if they did, I'd start with a multi-pronged assault on language, using whatever witch's brew of statistical and other ML methods were at hand. Remember John Searle's Chinese room argument? It's just wrong. At some point, if you can build something that convinces educated, skeptical observers that they're talking to a real intelligence, the only safe hypothesis is that it's a real intelligence. Other voices. Noam Chomsky and a couple of colleagues write in the New York Times the false province promise of ChatGPT. Obviously, it would be dumb to ignore input from Chomsky, but I found this kind of shallow. And I don't think it's axiomatic that a hypothetical AGI need be built around the same trade-offs that our own intelligence is. On the other hand, here's Sabine Hossenfelder in a video, transcript only on Patreon. I believe ch chatbots partly understand what they chat about. Let me explain. And I quote, Understanding can't be inferred from the relationship between input and output alone. I'm not sure Dr. H entirely convinced me, but that video is both intellectually dense and funny, and I strongly recommend it. Her conclusions are studded with what seem to me extremely wise observations. So what do I think? 3,500 words in, and I, I don't know. Really, I am somewhat consoled by the fact that no one else does either. There are very few posts I'm willing to drive into the ground. The claim that LLMs are nothing more than fancy, expensive Markov chains is a dangerous oversimplification, or in other words, wrong. There are going to be quality applications that use this stuff. For example, reading out picture descriptions to blind people. 
In the same way that the Bing bot seems to be useful at looking up stuff online, it's useful for computer programmers to automate searching Stack Overflow. I asked it for suggestions on how to dedupe ghost structs with slice fields, since you can't use those as map keys, and it turned up pointers to useful discussions that I had missed. Are these things remotely cost-effective? I mean, it's cool that Bing could research the relationship between uh, Deep Space Nine and Babylon 5, and that it threw in humanizing detail about the softball games, but the number of watt-hours it probably burnt to get there is shocking. For what values of worth it is it worth it? Relatedly, it's blindingly obvious that VC and big tech leadership are way out over their skis on this one, and that billions and billions are going to be pissed away on fever dreams pitched up by people who were talking up crypto DAOs until last month. Just now, I wouldn't bet my career on, career on this stuff, nor would I ignore it. It's really, really okay to say, I don't know. And that's all, folks.